Well, the holiday season is almost upon us. In fact, it's already hit some people who are away. And despite growing concerns about carbon emissions, it's now possible to visit almost any place in the world. Whereas previous generations in Edinburgh uh, might have spent a few days on the beach at Portobello, or the adventurous ventured over into the kingdom of Fife, Today you can spend a week or two in mainland Europe or far beyond in exotic locations in Latin America, Asia or Africa. It's a great opportunity, not only to enjoy a relaxing break from the pressures of modern life, but also to, to experience different customs and cultures, scenes and sights, food and drink. You might even attempt a word or two in the local language. But when all is said and done, when all is seen and felt, you don't take it too seriously. For you know that within a week or two, you will return home to life as you know it. To home and home comforts. For as the saying goes, there's no place like home. But imagine for a moment that you can't go home. That you're forcibly uprooted from your home and relocated to a distant part of the world. Not one that you chose from a holiday brochure, but one that was imposed upon you by a brutal army of occupation. And not only is there no prospect of immediate return, there is no guarantee that you will ever return home. That's what happened to the leading citizens of the small Middle Eastern nation of Judah some 2,500 years ago. On March the 15th, 597 BC, by our later dating of course, the unthinkable happened. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon and his army marched through the gates of the city of Jerusalem, the city of God, and looted the holy temple of God. Then, as was their policy, they rounded up any remaining leading citizens who had not been killed, including the king and the queen mother, and they carried them off 700 miles east to Babylon, leaving a puppet king to administer a leaderless nation on behalf of the Babylonians. And these exiles listed as 3,023 in number, were relocated in Babylon to a place called Nippur, near a canal named Kabar. And there they were, in a strange land, among a strange people, who spoke a strange language, practiced strange customs, and worst of all, worshipped strange gods, who if results were anything to go by, seemed remarkably powerful and more successful than the God that they had worshipped. How then were they to respond to this new and unexpected challenge? The challenge of living in exile. Now that's our theme today as we continue our series in the book of Jeremiah. We've entitled it Living in Hope. But today's theme is living in exile. And the key question for them as for us 
is are the two mutually exclusive? Can you still live in hope when you're living in exile? Is exile the end of hope? Now, this is no theoretical question about something that happened years ago. Some of you this morning may literally be living in exile. Either by choice, you're here for study or for work, far from home. Some of you even by circumstance. You may be a refugee from your home. But what I want to say this morning is that you may also be living in exile if you've lived in Scotland all your life and have never left the UK even for a holiday. Because if you are a Christian, you are in exile. Writing to scattered Gentile Christians in the Mediterranean world who had become Christians Gentiles, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter, addresses them as aliens and strangers in the world. 1 Peter 2.11 And writing to Christians in the city of Philippi, which prided itself on being a Roman colony in Greece, the Apostle Paul reminds them, our citizenship is in heaven. And yes, when you become a Christian, you increasingly discover you are in exile, though you may have lived in the same geographical location all your life. So how do you cope? How do you respond to the challenge of living in exile? And for an answer, we're going to turn to a letter that the prophet Jeremiah wrote to these exiles who had been carted off to Babylon. He was still in Jerusalem. Presumably they'd not bother taking him because he wasn't important enough. So let's turn this morning again to Jeremiah 29. It will really help us always to have a Bible in front of you. If you haven't got one, the Bible's in the pews. And it's page 788. And the NIV, New International Version, entitles it, A Letter to the Exiles. See, actually, it's probably two or three letters that are mentioned here, but the main letter comes at the beginning. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets and all the people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiachin and the Queen Mother, the court officials, the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the artisans had gone into exile from Jerusalem. He entrusted the letter to Elasa, son of Shaphan, and to Gemariah, son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. It said, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, 
the God of Israel says, Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I'll be found by you, declares the Lord. I'll bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I've banished you, declares the Lord. I'll bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. You may say the Lord has raised up prophets for us in Babylon. But this is what the Lord says about the king who sits on David's throne and all the people who remain in this city, your countrymen who did not go with you into exile. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I will send the sword, famine and plague against them. I will make them like poor figs that are so bad they cannot be eaten. I'll pursue them with the sword, famine and plague, make them abhorrent to the kingdoms of the earth and an object of cursing and horror, of scorn and reproach among the nations where I drive them. For they have not listened to my words, declares the Lord. Words I sent them again and again by my servants the prophets, and you exiles have not listened either, declares the Lord. Therefore hear the word of the Lord, all you exiles whom I have sent away from Jerusalem to Babylon. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says about Ahab, son of Kaliah, and Zedekiah, son of Marciah, who are prophesying lies to you in my name. I will hand them over to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. He'll put them to death before your very eyes. Because of them, all the exiles from Judah who are in Babylon will use this curse. The Lord treat you like Zedekiah and Ahab, whom the king of Babylon burned in the fire. For they have done outrageous things in Israel. They've committed adultery with their neighbors' wives, and in my name have spoken lies, which I did not tell them to do. I know it, and I am a witness to it, declares the Lord. Tell Shemaiah, the Nehelamite, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. You sent letters in your own name to all the people in Jerusalem, to Zephaniah, son of Marcia, the priest, and to all the other priests. You said to Zephaniah, the Lord has appointed you priest in place of Jehoiada to be in charge of the house of the Lord. You should put any madman who acts like a prophet into the stocks and neckirons. So why have you not reprimanded Jeremiah <coughs> from Anathoth, who poses as a prophet among you? He has sent this message to us in Babylon. It will be a long time. Therefore build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Zephaniah the priest, however, read the letter to Jeremiah the prophet. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Send this message to all the exiles. This is what the Lord says about Shemaiah the Nehelamite. Because Shemaiah has prophesied to you, even though I did not send him, and has led you to believe a lie, this is what the Lord says, I will surely punish Shemaiah the Nehelamite and his descendants. He'll have no one left among this people, nor will he see the good things I will do for my people, declares the Lord, because he has preached rebellion against me. This is the word of the Lord. If you've been here on this series, you may recall that when the Lord first called Jeremiah, he gave him a pretty tough commission. 
Here's his job description. Jeremiah 1, 9-10 Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, Now I have put words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. For 30 years, Jeremiah has almost exclusively been occupied with the first part of that calling, to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, through the messages he has spoken from the Lord. You could describe him as demolition man. And a role, it was a role that did not make him popular, with his peers, even when, especially when, everything he said came true. But now at last, when judgment has started, Jeremiah's work of building and planting is about to begin, as the Lord gives him words of hope for the exiles in Babylon. But if these seeds of true hope are to be planted, then the weeds of false hope must be first uprooted. So Jeremiah writes this letter, carried by royal mail, to the exiles in Babylon, in which he addresses both issues. Here's the purpose of his letter, a summary. To demolish false hope, to deliver fresh hope. So, let's look at the two things in turn. First of all, demolishing false hope. In our last study, we saw that in Jerusalem were prophets who claimed to speak on behalf of the Lord, who were telling the people, those people who have been carried off into exile, they'll soon be back home. One of them, Hananiah, said, within two years, they'll all be back, along with the temple treasures that have been carried to Babylon. Unfortunately for Hananiah, the only thing that happened in two years was that he died, as Jeremiah prophesied. Despite this, <clears throat> the talk of a speedy return from Babylon did not dampen down. And now it appears from Jeremiah's letter that even in Babylon, among the exiles, have arisen so-called spokesmen for the Lord who are giving the same optimistic message to the exiles. Look, folks, don't worry. Keep your bags packed. Get ready, because almost any time the Lord's going to take us back to Jerusalem. And Jeremiah warns, don't be taken in by this. They have spoken lies. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Don't listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. Jeremiah says these are false prophets. That The Lord didn't send them. And what they say directly contradicts what the Lord has already said through me and other true prophets. They're offering you false hope. And in fact, these people back in Babylon were saying, look, the fortunate ones are the people back in Jerusalem. They're back home in our city, in our nation, in our land. The temple is still standing. And Jeremiah says, listen, the fortunate ones are you people left in Babylon. Because those left in Jerusalem are like bad figs, a picture he's used before, and they're about to be eaten, destroyed by the Lord. The problem with these false prophets is that they have spoken lies instead of listening to the Lord. Look again at verse 19. For they have not listened to my words, declares the Lord. Words that I sent to them again and again by my servants, the prophets. You exiles have not listened to me either. So judgment, he says, will follow. And he identifies these two people, Ahab and Zedekiah. He says they'll be thrown in a fiery furnace. 
by King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, if you know the Bible well, you'll know the story of Daniel and the prophecy of Daniel, the book of Daniel. You'll know about those three men, compatriots of Daniel, who were thrown in a fiery furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were miraculously preserved. But Jeremiah says, Zedekiah and Ahab, literally the word in Hebrew is, they'll be roasted in the fire. Their names will become a byword for what happens when you speak falsehood instead of truth, accompanied by an immoral lifestyle. Now, I have no doubt that the message of these prophets was extremely popular. You can imagine the exiles there clustered around this little enclave in Babylon. If you've ever lived in an expat community, you know, you all clip together because you, you've got something in common. And these people were desperately unhappy. And you can imagine one of them saying, I've got a dream. I had a dream from the Lord. I saw us going back to Jerusalem. And it's going to happen soon. And everybody said, yes, Lord, that's wonderful. Only problem with it was complete nonsense. wasn't true. And I simply say, as we've said so often in the series, in an age of despair, people look for hope, any hope. While that may not be surprising, what is surprising is how many messages of hope <coughs> are offered by people who claim to speak in the name of the Lord. And they nearly always promise a glowing future that's just around the corner. So that you can ignore the present and painful reality in which you're living. It's a human instinct to say, well, tell me something so I can ignore the pain at the moment, so I can look to all the great things that are going to happen just around the corner. And Jeremiah knows that if these exiles are going to live life as God intends in the present, he needs to demolish, uproot these weeds of false hope. If the exiles were to accept what the Lord promised them, and it's our verse for the year, isn't it? Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a future and a hope. Our verse for the year is not an invitation to escapism, but rather an incentive to realism. The realism of our present lives at this moment, which is we are living in exile. Yeah, we have a great future. We sing and rejoice in it. But because we have a great future, that future determines how we live in the present. We don't say, as some of the early Christians did in the city of Thessalonica, the Lord's about to come any moment, so let's give it work and just sit around and wait. Now we have a great future, but that future, therefore, brings realism to our present experience, living in exile. So let's turn to what is the main point of the story, which is delivering fresh hope. Yes, says the Lord through Jeremiah, I will bring you back home again. But not in two years, in 70 years. So if the Lord says 70 years, what do you do in the present time while you're waiting? Living in exile. Last Wednesday, Nita and I were coming back from a very busy few days uh, down in London and High Wycombe. And we got to Heathrow Airport to catch the late flight British Midland and some of you may have seen on the news that Heathrow was closed for a time and although we were two hours early for our flight we sat in the waiting room and then it came up on the screen flight delayed for another hour and then it came up again and said flight delayed for another hour and I worked out and Paul Rodney had offered to meet us at the airport I kept texting him saying another hour another hour he said very graciously no problem I'll be there and uh, 
We didn't finally get back. I knew we wouldn't be back until at least midnight and I've got a very busy day and not least preparing this message which I've started and also speaking to the greenhouse that evening. Now what do you do when you're sitting around waiting for a flight in Heathrow? Well, you can stand around bewailing the fact, you know, why are they always late, these flights? And You could sing a song, you know, this airport's not my home, I'm just <laughs> passing through. I'll tell you what I did, all right? I said to Nita, I've got to do some preparation. I got out my Bible, I got out some pen and paper, and I started preparing, thinking, you know, it's an awful expression that people use, killing time. We don't kill time, friends, if we're Christians. The Word of God says, in the authorised version, if I grew up with that, redeem the time because the days are evil. And so rather than ranting against their present evil time, the exiles in Babylon need to live within it in the light of the future. If you have no future hope, you live with despair. Or you just think, eat, drink and be merry, tomorrow we die. But if you only focus on the future, you live without present purpose. Future hope always gives meaning to present experience. Even, let me say this really strongly, even to present painful experience that may be the result of what you have done which is wrong. Let me say it again. Even present experience that you're experiencing now, your circumstances, are a result of your sin because that was the case of the people of Israel. When I was growing up, I well remember as a young man being struck and I was stuck in my memory. I met a man who was a Christian and he didn't seem to be doing much for the Lord and uh, I didn't say that to him but he said, I need to explain to you why he said he said, when I was a young man, God called me to be a missionary in Russia, and I said no, and so, you know, that's it, I've blown it. Presumably he's just sitting around waiting for his exile to end until the Lord comes or calls him home. Or think of the Christians, and I've met many of them, who married the wrong person. Chose the wrong career moved to the wrong house or whatever situation it may be friends all of us live with wrong con the consequences of wrong actions you reap what you sow what is important is you can't change it you can't go back in time we don't believe in time machines you're living with the present reality and the question is what are you going to do now in the present well here's the good news you notice what the Lord said to the exiles he said it over and over again in that letter the Lord kept saying to them he says, Babylon is the place I carried you into exile. Verses 4 and 7. It's the place where I have vanished you. Verse 14. And it's the place I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. At the present time, the Lord says, Yeah, I know, it's the consequence of your sin, but that's where I've planted you now. Where I'm going to work out my plans for you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. You see, you may know our verse by heart and think, Mentally, that's not for me because I've blown it. Friends, God's grace is bigger than your sin. I don't mean to minimize your sin, never, but I want to maximize God's grace. Whatever your circumstances may be. So Jeremiah's letter focuses on what they're to do now. It's kind of rooted around two themes and, and the same verb. It's the verb seek, which comes twice in this passage at least. It's 
Jeremiah says, this is what you're to seek. This is what you're to pursue while you're in Babylon. These are your present priorities which are rooted in your future hope. And there are two of them. Two broad areas. First of all, he says, seek the peace and prosperity of the city. That's in verses 4 to 9. You know, I'd love to have been there when Jeremiah's letter was read. You know, here's this letter from Jeremiah the prophet. Well, we may not like him, but he's got everything right so far, so let's see what he's got to say. This is what the Lord Almighty says to those I I carry into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Think of the negative things they were probably doing in contrast to these. Build houses and settle down. Rent a property or live in a tent because you're going to be out of here soon. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. No point in planting gardens because you won't be able to get the fruit anyway. Marry and have sons and daughters. Not a time to have families at this time. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in numbers there. Don't decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. For If it prospers, you too will prosper. I bet there were some really glum faces when that was read out. Or a few boos and hisses. No. Philip Rackin in the commentary, I've recommended if you've got the money, spend £20, whatever it costs, on Jeremiah. This is what he says. What should God's people do when their zip code places... That's postcode, I think, in American. What should God's people do when their zip code places them in Satan's precincts? When God's people were captives in Babylon, they might have expected God to tell them to run away or revolt. What he did instead was to tell them to make themselves at home. The gist of Jeremiah's prophecy was that God was going to build his city in the middle of Satan's city. So they were to seek the welfare of Babylon. Just think about it for a minute. This is the people who have carted them off, this brutal nation and empire. He says, seek the shalom of the city. The Hebrew word doesn't mean just absence from conflict. You know, pray that we won't have any terrorist attacks or that kind of thing. It means pray for all that God intends for people to come to pass for this city where you live. Now, you didn't need to tell any Jew to pray for the shalom of Jerusalem. Jerusalem. But pray for the shalom of Babylon. It, it just contradicted everything their own prophets were saying. But Jeremiah tells them, they're telling you lies. Rather than seeing yourselves in your present circumstances as forced captives in Babylon, they were to recognize that in fact they were meant to be missionaries in Babylon, not assimilating to the culture and becoming like the Babylonians, but living distinctively as the people of God in the place where God had placed them, to be an influence for good. And I simply want to say that God has placed us at this present time in Edinburgh, in a city. And we're here for the good of Edinburgh, for the shalom of the city. We're followers of the Lord Jesus Christ who entered our world 
and died outside this same city of Jerusalem for our good, for our shalom. Now we can withdraw into our church buildings and our own activities and from the cities as we wait the final redemption and the return of the Lord. And we pray with God's people, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But in the meantime, what are we meant to be? The salt of the earth and the light of the world. And we can bewail the corruption in our society, but is it because the salt has lost its savour? We can bewail the darkness in our society. Is it because the light of the world has been hidden away and people have no exposure to the light of the gospel? No, our priority must be to seek the peace and prosperity of the city. To pray for the city, not to rage against it or be resigned about it. As I was thinking, the words of the Apostle Paul came to me uh, that he wrote to Timothy, uh, the Christian's duty. Just let me remind you of it. I urge then, first of all, writing to Christians under Roman rule, that requests, prayers and intercession and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Saviour who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men. Pray for the city so it may be conducive for the gospel, that we may live as the people of God, and that people might be attracted and discover that there is a God who longs that all people might be saved, and has given his son as a ransom for many. That's the first priority. We develop that at great length. Discuss it over lunch, please. There's a second priority in Jeremiah's letter. The Lord also urges the exiles, Seek me with all your heart. Verses 10 to 14 covers that theme. It was the unfaithfulness of the people of Judah that had brought God's judgment upon them, resulting in their exile in Babylon. But for the people of Judah, you know the worst thing of all? It wasn't that they lived in Babylon. It wasn't the conditions, the food, or the customs. All these things were no doubt uncomfortable. The worst thing of all for these people was the spiritual implications. You see, God had said, I will dwell among my people, in my chosen land, in the place where I've chosen to dwell, between the cherubim, in the temple. Now, it's a big question when you get carted off to Babylon. Is access to God now barred? In just a few years, Jeremiah's preparing them for this, in just a few short years, the Babylonians will come again to Jerusalem, and this time they'll raise the city to the ground, they'll reduce the temple to rubble, and more exiles will be carted off to Babylon. So what do you do when you're living in a strange land? Is there no more access to God allowed? You can't make any more animal sacrifices for sin. And that's what the people feared. That's why they wanted to get home so quickly. That's why they said those folk who have not yet been carted off into exile, they're the fortunate ones. They can still go to church building on Sunday to their temple. But now these wonderful words. The Lord assures them. If you pray to me, if you seek me with all your heart, if you call upon me in Babylon, I will listen to you and I will be found by you three times up to this point, Jeremiah has been told by the Lord, don't pray for these people. It's too late. Now he says to these people, pray, because I'll be found by you. And I'm going to fulfill all my good plans for you. If you seek me, and you'll finally be brought home. You see, our verse for the year is not a blank checkbook 
for Christians. It is a promise for those who will seek the Lord with all their heart. The exile is an opportunity for a renewed relationship with the Lord. And the wonderful history of Israel is, this is the one opportunity that the people finally seized. When all the props were removed, all the religious paraphernalia, all that went with the land and temple and city, in Babylon they discovered the Lord afresh. Uh, Eugene Peterson in his book on Jeremiah, Run With The Horses, writes, they settled down to find out what it meant to be God's people in a place they didn't want to be in Babylon. The result was that this became the most creative period in their entire sweep of Hebrew history. They didn't lose their identity, they discovered it. They lost everything they thought was important and found what was important, they found God. In Babylon, the exiles learned how to pray in a new way. They learned how to worship in a new way. Just a group of them meeting together what became synagogue worship to which we owe a great debt even in the way that we worship today. They learned to worship around the word of God, the Torah, the Hebrew scriptures and to listen and rediscover God's word afresh. Dependent not on a place but on a person. The person of God revealed in his word. Now we have a far greater privilege. We come to God through his son who is the living word, Jesus Christ. The radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. And through his death and resurrection we celebrate it around this table. A new and living way has been opened up to God. And God says, if you seek me with all your heart, you'll find me. Let me speak again. I'm aware of the sensitivity when I said to you, some of you are living in situations that were created by your own sin. And you think, that's it, I've blown it. No, you haven't. In that situation, in that wrong place, that difficult relationship, whatever it may be that's the result of your sin, God wants to meet you there if you'll seek him with all your heart. And here's the good news. You don't need to go on Hajj to Jerusalem. That's a nice place to visit. You don't need a temple. You remember that story when our Lord met with that woman of Samaria and got involved in a religious discussion about worship and she said, you know, we worship on this mountain, Mount Gerizim, the Samarian mountain, where they set up their own alternative worship. You worship in Jerusalem. And Jesus said, woman, believe me, a time is coming and now has come when people will worship God, neither on this mountain nor that God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. You can meet with God wherever you are. Jesus, where'er thy people meet, there they behold thy mercy seat. Where'er they seek thee, thou art found. And every place is hallowed ground. All Muslims have to go on the Hajj. It's required. To Mecca. You don't have to go to Jerusalem. You can meet God here this morning at this table. What I want to say it is, it is usually, almost said always, but usually it is in experiences of exile when we lose everything we have depended on through illness, bereavement, desertion, even death of a loved one that we seek God with all our heart and we find him or, more accurately, we are found by him. And this is true for many people. Their first encounter with God would be an interesting exercise to say, how many of you came to faith in Christ because your life was in a mess? Ah, but guess the majority. 
Maybe this morning you're not a Christian. You're just wandering to Charlotte Chapel. Your life is in a mess and it's the consequences, if you're honest with yourself, of wrong choices that you've made. And I want to say to you this morning, God can meet you in that situation. If you'll seek him with all your heart, he promises to be found by you. But it requires wholehearted seeking. And maybe what God has done in your life, he's knocked away all those props that you relied on, that you, you found your identity in. Your career, your marriage, your nice house and car, whatever it may be, your prospects, your reputation. And it's when those props are knocked away that you then think, is there any hope at all? And it's then that you turn and find that God will be found by you. But I also want to speak to those of you this morning, many of you who are Christians, and you've strayed away from God through sin, or you've just drifted away. How easy it is as Christians to drift away, isn't it? Most of us as Christians, we're not swept away by a tidal wave. We usually just drift away lying on some kind of spiritual lilo and find ourselves far from shore. And then what does God do? Well, suddenly the unexpected strikes and you find yourself in an unfamiliar place with all the props removed. And if that's you this morning, the Lord says to you, exile is a place to seek me with all your heart. And if you do, I'll be found by you. Wow, it's amazing, isn't it? God promises that he'll meet with us if we seek him with all our hearts. Maybe today is that day for you. And what better place than at this table? Almost finished, but let's just look at the last bit because it ends with a warning. And I would not be true to Scripture if I finished at that point. While Jeremiah's message of hope eventually took root in the nation, not least when the temple and city were destroyed, it was not at first welcomed by everyone. And we discovered that Jeremiah's letter, well, there was a regular post, by the way, between outposts of the empire. So there was a kind of royal mail that went back and forth between Jerusalem and Babylon. It took a bit longer than royal mail, but maybe not too much longer. But be careful here, especially when they're on strike, looking at postmen up in the balcony. Um, there were further letters sent. Uh, the first of these uh, was from a man called Shemaiah the Nehelamite. And he sends a letter to the leading priests and leaders in Jerusalem in response to Jeremiah's message to the exiles. He gets the message about settle down and he says, no way! So he sends a message back to Jerusalem saying, why aren't you doing something about madmen who are telling us to settle down? He rejects the Lord's messenger. But he also rejects the Lord's message. And Zephaniah, the leading priest, when he gets this, instead of taking action and doing what the guy wants him to do and put Jeremiah back in the stocks, which is already experienced as we've seen in our series, he shows Jeremiah the letter. He says, this is what letters come to me asking me to sort you out. What do you think, Jeremiah? And Jeremiah seeks the Lord and the Lord gives another message which he sends back to the exiles in Babylon. He says, Shemaiah has prophesied lies, so he'll be punished. And his descendants and he will miss out on the wonderful good plans that God has. He will not experience Jeremiah 29.11. So this episode and chapter ends with a warning. Don't miss out. And I've emphasized that God will be found by you if you seek him. But I need to say at the consequence... If you fail to seek him, 
If you reject his message and messenger, his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, you will miss out on all the good things that God has planned. And you'll never experience Jeremiah 29, 11. It's the consequence of rejecting God's messenger. And the New Testament warns us, if people under that old covenant rejected him and suffered the consequences, how much greater are the consequences of rejecting one far greater? Hebrews 12, 25. See, that, see to it, he says, the writer, that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? This morning you have a choice. You can turn to God and experience his hope and future and forgiveness. Or you can turn away from the living God and go out this door and walk your own way. And you will never experience the good things that God has promised, those future, that future hope in Christ. New heaven, new earth. Just spend the rest of the day talking about that hope. But if you turn to him, then we prove in far greater measure than the exiles in Jerusalem ever could have imagined, or even Jeremiah himself, by faith, looking to the future. The promise of Jeremiah 29, 11. Our verse for the year. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. This is the word of God. Let's pray together.